This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Ah, no thank you, Gavin. I don't want any culinary recommendation from a man who eats a dish called Spotted Dick. The following podcast contains... Man, you have got to teach me some of those old man swear words. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you told us that sugar-coated sugar balls were part of a nutritious breakfast, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 345, the magically delicious edition of the show, where we talk about the strange history of something everyone ate when they were kids and then never ate again, breakfast cereal. Stay tuned. The What the Hell We Think podcast is brought to you by Vodka Bombs, the breakfast cereal for big boys and girls. A good, nutritious breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but today's crushing existential crisis is who has time for puffed corn balls and milk? That's where Vodka Bombs can help. Each full serving of Vodka Bombs contains all the essential vitamins and minerals your body needs and 375 mLs of pure Russian vodka. Nothing takes the edge off the start of a day like a good buzz with breakfast. So start your day off right with a heaping bowl of vodka bombs or new chocolate-coated vodka bombs and watch the day get better and better. Got into an argument this morning with my Rice Krispies. (laughs) I distinctly heard, snap, crackle, fuck him. I don't know which one of them said it, you know. I was reaching for the artificial sweetener at the time and was not looking directly into the bowl. As a child, I had very little input on my day-to-day life. This is probably a good thing, as I, like most children, if given their druthers, would waste an entire day with facile activities like playing in dirt or staring at clouds and daydreaming. Are you employed, sir? So parental guidance was necessary to keep me from being a little naked heathen running around having, you know, fun. I'm sure this is why modern electronics are such a godsend to parents today. They can keep their little crotch fruit glued to a chair all goddamn day where they won't bother them or break anything. I am so glad I am not your kid. But it's important to give children some small illusion of being able to make their own choices in life. That's what Mr. Spock told parents back in the 1970s. Oh no, they sent the wrong Spock. And this is of course why there were so many different varieties of breakfast cereals back in the day. You see, you could give the child the illusion of choosing their own cereal brand comfortably knowing that they were all nothing more than massive infusions of sugar with little to no actual nutritional value. That's comforting. As a child, my mom would turn my little sister and me out into the cereal aisle with the instruction to pick one box of cereal for the week now, and then watch as the two of us immediately commenced a vicious brawl over our preferred brands. I was an Applejacker, and my sister wanted anything so long as it wasn't Applejacks. 
Not because she disliked Apple Jacks, but she did dislike me. Oh, that's adorable. So, you know, we rarely got Apple Jacks around my house because my little sister was a cruel and vicious fighter and not at all averse to hitting below the belt. I'm still scared of her today. Because of this cruel fact, I sampled most of the big brands during my breakfast cereal consumption days from 5 to, say, 15, and that makes me a connoisseur of their taste, texture, and how their enormous sugar content contributed to tooth decay. Four out of five dentists surveyed. That they gonna get paid because of this fucking cereal. So I figured the way to get this new year off and this new season off was why not start with the important part of a balanced breakfast, which is two outright lies that somehow managed to slip past all the truth in advertising people who were so worried about kids hearing the wrong message in advertising. So worried about that fucking smoking camel that a lying tiger never ever crossed their radars. Anyway, let's see what prizes await us inside these boxes of nostalgia. Now... For most of human evolution, breakfast was a leftover haunch of yak from the previous night's kill. So I guess you could say it's a balanced breakfast? Sorry, just getting that joke out of the way so we can move on to worse ones. As we settled down and moved from hunting to gathering, humans began their day with ground grains at the start of the day. How do I know this? Because I found a website called breakfastcereal.org and they had this to say. Quote, Eating breakfast began in the Neolithic Late Stone Age era when large stones were used to grind grain to make a sort of porridge. Porridge was also the staple of Roman soldiers' diet. They called it palmitus, unquote. It then goes on to say that in the Middle Ages, beer was a big part of breakfast, to which I say... Beer is for breakfast, Randy. And it was the Industrial Revolution that, shall we say... You don't have to do this. I think I do. Revolutionized breakfast. No, I hate you. I hate you too, honey. Again from breakfastcereal.com, quote, Breakfast as we know it began in the early 19th century when some middle-class men started to work regular hours in offices. Prior to that, people would often work a few hours, then eat a meal at about, at about 10 a.m. Wives or kitchen staff would often serve these 19th century commuters with a two-course meal that would often begin with a bowl of porridge. This would be followed by a full English breakfast. Toast, eggs with bacon or fish. This style of meal wasn't referred to as the full English until the First World War when lighter breakfast grew in popularity. Unquote. Here in good old Merca, breakfast began with bold, brave men conquering the land and exterminating the people who reasonably assumed that since they'd been there for a couple of thousand years, they deserved to live there too. That's just, that's crazy talk. And you can't commit genocide and enslave another human being without a balanced breakfast. And what you ate for that balanced breakfast largely depended on where you lived and, of course, whether or not you were able to profit from the enslaved labor of other human beings. Nan might span from a simple meal of bread and small beer, which was not a six-ounce or a Budweiser, but a weak form of beer shared by the whole family. Others might break their fast with something called a hasty pudding, which was cornmeal and milk. That sounds awful. Hey. Sometimes, if you had it, you could dump some squirrel or badger in that hasty pudding and bulk it up a bit. In New England, you would eat baked beans for breakfast instead of cornmeal. And of course, there's always been good old oatmeal, sometimes with molasses or sometimes just plain boiled oats. If you're rich, of course, you ate anything you damn well please because after all, you were fucking rich and you had slaves to cook it for you. 
By the 19th century, America was climbing out of the breakfast gutter and foods that we now think of as breakfast foods were beginning to take shape. Cold pizza for you. It's good for breakfast. See you. Well, not pizza, but cereal. It really begins with a guy by the name of James Caleb Jackson. James was a religiously conservative vegetarian. Nobody liked him. Jackson ran a medical sanitarium in western New York, and to feed his inmates, I mean patients, he created what he considered to be a superfood, consisting of graham crackers that were dried as hard as a rock and broken into bits. Before you could eat them, you had to soak them in milk overnight, and he called it granula, which sounds more like a disgusting thing you get removed from your asshole rather than something you eat for breakfast. You probably know granula by its modern name, granola. If you've ever tasted raw granola, which I assume that you, if you're listening to this podcast, you, uh, you're you not. Granola tastes, well, I'll be honest, it doesn't taste like anything. I mean, a lot of people compare it to cardboard, but cardboard has a slight chemical taste from the processing of the wood pulp into the cardboard, while granola just tastes crunchy. I mean, I mean, you know that you're eating something because... It takes a lot of effort to eat it, but the thing in your mouth lacks anything that could be remotely considered a taste. It just tastes like air if if air hurt to chew. It took a dude by the name of John Harvey Kellogg to take the formula for granula and turn it into mass market products. You might have heard that name before. Now, Dr. Kellogg, according to Wikipedia, was a, quote, a major leader in progressive health reform, particularly in the second phase of the clean living movement. He wrote extensively on science and health. His approach to biologic living combined scientific knowledge with Adventist beliefs promoting health reform and temperance. His promotion of developing an aphrodisiac foods was based on these beliefs, unquote. What? I hear you asking, is it an aphrodisiac food? Well, you know how oysters are supposed to make you horny? Well, uh... The opposite of that. Exactly. Kellogg was extremely concerned about people masturbating. I mean, dude wasn't even keen on having sex or procreation, but he kind of understood the necessity. But he literally believed that masturbation was just about the most awful thing one could possibly do. Again, from Wikipedia, quote, Kellogg was able to draw upon many medical sources claims such as neither the plague nor war nor smallpox nor similar diseases have produced results so disastrous to humanity as the pernicious habit of onanism. He strongly warned against the habit in his own words, claiming of masturbation-related deaths, such a victim dies literally by his own hand. Among other condemnations, he felt that masturbation destroyed not only the physical and mental health, but the moral health as well. Kellogg also believed that the practice of this solitary vice caused cancer of the womb, urinary diseases, nocturnal emissions, impotence, epilepsy, insanity, and mental and physical debility. Dimness of vision was only briefly mentioned. Kellogg thought that masturbation was the worst evil one could commit. He often referred to it as self-abuse, and he considered sexual climax to be a serious exhaustion of nervous energy writing. Sex is accompanied by a particular nervous spasm, one more exhausting to the system than any other. Kellogg did promote extensive measures to prevent chronic masturbation. He circumcised himself as 37. His methods for rehabilitation of chronic masturbators included measures up to the point of cutting off part of the genitals without anesthetic on both sexes. He wrote that men who did should be circumcised and women that did masturbate should have carbolic acid applied to their clitoral glands. He wrote this in his book. 
a remedy which is almost always successful in small boys is circumcision. The operation should be performed by a surgeon without administering an anesthetic as the brief pain attended the operation will have a salutatory effect upon the mind, especially if connected with the idea of punishment, as it may well be in some cases. The soreness, which continues for several weeks, interrupts the practice, and if it had not been previously too firmly fixed, it, masturbation, may be forgotten and not resumed. Another treatment we've employed with entire satisfaction consists in the application of one or more silver sutures in such a way as to prevent erection. The prepuce or foreskin is drawn forward over the glands and the needle to which the wire is attached is passed through from one side to the other. After drawing the wire through, the ends are twisted together and cut off close. It is now impossible for an erection to occur, and the slight irritation thus produced acts as a most powerful means of overcoming the disposition to resort to the practice. In females, the author has found, the application of pure carbolic acid to the clitoris is an excellent means of allaying abnormal excitement. Unquote. This motherfucker was insane. He was fucking sewing dudes' dick shut and pouring acids on women's clits. The man was fucking twisted as hell. And you have to be asking yourself, Does this have to do with breakfast? Absolutely nothing. I just wanted to talk about how much he hated jerking your gherkin or flapping your beaver tail on the pond water. It was actually Kellogg's brother Keith who came up with the first modern breakfast cereal. It was cornflakes. Keith was definitely the more fun-loving Kellogg brother. I bet he yanked his crank on the daily. But that has nothing to do with our story, just an interesting side supposition. It was Keith who came up with the idea for making cornflakes, and at first old John Harvey thought that it was great, but then Keith committed the heresy of asking, what if our product doesn't taste like shit? Blasphemer! Because old John Harvey knew that if we started enjoying the food we're eating, the next thing you know, people would just be spanking their hogs on the city street in front of everyone. Keith disagreed, went off and started his own company, the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company, added sugar to his cereal, and soon enough, everyone was furiously masturbating everywhere. And they were eating his cereal, which uh, made him a shitload of money. The Kellogg's Company of today is the descendant of Keith's Battle Creek Company. Fun fact, it was Keith that put the very first prize inside a cereal box. Want to know what it was? That's just a, it's a cock ring. Oh, Blue Balls Kellogg wasn't the only cereal inventor that had interesting ideas. Webster Edgerly, who despite his name did not appear to have a public stance on masturbation, created checks. Why did he create checks? To feed the followers of his religion. Here we go again. Well, he didn't call it a religion. He said it was a social movement that he called Ralstonism. But trust me, it was a religion. From Wikipedia, quote, Ralstonism was a hierarchical organization where members were ranked according to the number of degrees they had, which ranged from zero to 100. Members advanced five degrees at a time, and each Ralston book that a member purchased counted as five degrees. Sound like any other religion you can think of, Scientology? Although Edgerly claimed in the 1900 edition of the Book of General Membership of the Ralston Health Club that the letters of the word Ralston came from regime, activity, light, strength, temperance, oxygen, and nature, early editions of the same book are credited to Everett Ralston, a pseudonym of Edgerly, with the implication that Ralstonism is named after this fictitious person. Edgerly saw his followers as the founding members of a new race based on Caucasian and free from impurities. He advocated the castration of all anti-racial, eerie, that is non-Caucasian, males at birth. 
Ralston Knights were to follow strict dietary guidelines. For example, watermelons were supposed to be poisonous to Caucasians. Correct diet and proper physical exercise would help re- readers attain personal magnetism, which would give them control over the thoughts of others. In 1900, Edgerly joined forces with the founder of Purina Food Company, which took the name Ralston Purina Company, which would later become Nestle Purina Pet Care, and it made a whole wheat cereal that Ralstonites were to consume. The food company Edgerly founded evolved into what's now called Corp, which was the original manufacturer of the cereal brands, including Chex and Cookie Crisp, unquote. Think about that the next time you are chowing down on some Chex Mix, that the creator of Chex Mix was a guy so incredibly racist that all non-white guys had to be castrated at birth and that watermelons are toxic to white people. Also, I, I can't believe L. Ron Hubbard never had his own breakfast cereal. Quaker Oats invented puff rice in, ni- in the 1910s. The 1920s gave us the wheat brand mix that became Wheaties. The 1940s gave us oats rolled into an O's that they called Cheery Oats and eventually Cheery O's. All of these were out there and were generally marketed as health food or diet food, an alternative to the big bacon, egg, toast, and black coffee breakfast that was considered a normal breakfast by most Americans. Cereal was something you ate because you wanted to either be healthier or you were worried about losing your eyesight due to your chronic masturbation. It would take an entire fucking world war to create the modern cereal market, and it came because it ended, and after it ended... Nobody was masturbating because everybody was... Everyone was fucking like rabbit. And it all began with this cat right here. Yeah, Pop? Get on the beam. Get on the beam, yeah. Put a tiger on your team. Tiger on your team, yeah. Eat Kellogg's sugar-frosted flakes. Frosted flakes. Technically post beat Kellogg's to the punch with mascots with sugar crisp and their three bears... But they didn't solidify behind the far more recognizable brand mascot Sugar Bear for several more years. Tony the Tiger was the mascot that made baby boomers throw a fit in the cereal aisle, much like they do today when one insinuates that the minimum wage should be raised or that student loans are legalized debt slavery. Tricks the Rabbit followed in 1959, Sonny the Cuckoo Bird in 1962, and Quisp in 1965. Who the hell is that? Quisp? I don't know. I don't know what the fuck Quisp was. Maybe he's an alien. You know, whatever. He was created by Jay Ward, the dude that did Rocky and Bullwinkle, and that dude was doing a lot of savvy drugs back then. But Quisp was big in the early 60s, and he was out of production by 1979, so I barely remember him. They keep trying to bring it back, but the only people who remember Quisp are no longer allowed to eat sugar cereals on orders from their doctors. The 1970s were the heyday of the breakfast cereal mascot. No Saturday morning was truly complete without a giant bowl of sugar and carbs and four solid hours of cartoons. Simpler times. As I said on the rare occasions when I could out-wrestle my sister for control of the cereal box, I was a plain and simple Apple Jacks boy. cereal from Kellogg's can be part of a nutritious breakfast. Apple Jacks never went the mascot route because Apple Jacks didn't need to. The taste of apples and just a touch of cinnamon was all that was needed. And even as a child, I was never a slave to corporate marketing. 
But dollar for dollar, the most effective corporate marketing serial campaign of the 1970s and early 80s were these dudes right the fuck here. Don't be scared. I'm the super sweet monster with the super sweet new cereal, Count Chocula. Bethel, here's the super sweet new cereal, Frankenberry. But I've got chocolate sweeties for monstrous chocolate flavor. Well, I've got berry flavored sweeties for monstrous strawberry flavor. Count Chocula. Frankenberry. Hi. <laughs> Frankenberry. Count Chocula. General Mills had the brilliant idea of taking sugar-soaked grain bits, dyeing them pink or brown, then adding similarly dyed marshmallows, literally a puffed sugar cube, and then some flavor that was reported to be chocolate and or strawberry, but really just tasted like brown or pink. Later, General Mills added booberry, which tastes like, you guessed it, blue. The ad firm Dancer and Fitzgerald came up with the mascots, presumably by saying, Jesus, this shit is just candy you put milk over. And then someone else said, yeah, it's like Halloween in a box. And suddenly the room started smiling. All of them sexually harassed a secretary and went out for a booze-soaked lunch. I miss simpler times. Actually, the creator of these characters was a 26-year-old woman named Laura Levine, and you can read her story at melmagazine.com, which I have linked in the show notes, and it was the article that inspired this show. The reason I was inspired wasn't cereal. It was because of the poop. Everything comes down to poo. From the top of your head to the sole of your shoe. We can figure out what's wrong with you by looking at your poo. Because when you ate first generation Frankenberry, you pooped pink. Awesome. Definitely awesome, man. This is from, this is from Smithsonian Magazine. Quote, a 1972 case study, benign red pigmentation of stool resulting from food color in a new breakfast cereal. Published in Pediatrics, explains the phenomenon later known as Frankenberry stool. A 12-year-old boy was hospitalized for four days after being admitted for possible rectal bleeding. The stool had no abnormal odor, but looked like strawberry ice cream pain reports. Further question of the mother revealed that the child had enjoyed a bowl of Frankenberry cereal two days and one day prior to his hospitalization. By the fourth day, they did a little experiment. They fed the boy four bowls of Frankenberry cereal, and for the next two days, he passed bright pink stools. But other than pink poop, there were no other symptoms. The physical examination upon admission revealed no acute distress, and with normal vital sense, physical examination was otherwise unremarkable. Unquote. Long after the formula was changed and your poo went back to your normal colors, kids would whisper to each other that you could change your poo to pink or blue if you ate the proper brand of cereal, leading to a generation of little boys who stared at their own shit in disappointment for nearly a decade. Now, a lot of people who don't know better like to think that the prizes in the cereal box influenced our choice of cereal brands back in the days, but it didn't, and let me explain to you why. Kids, now you can get a terrific dinky toy model car like this Ford GT Racer, or any of five others, free in the mail for seven proof-of-purchase seals from the Post Cereals Mom Buys for You. Look what you get with this Mustang. A lift-up hood and trunk. Doors that open, fingertip steering, a super tough all-metal body, and more. Get your dinky toy model car free by sending us seven proof-of-purchase seals from your favorite Post Serials. Another seven seals can get little girls a Storykin Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, or Goldilocks doll set. All dolls have just like real hair you can comb and brush. To get your free car or doll, 
See details on the backs of Post Toasties, Alphabets, Raisin Bran, and Sugar Crisp boxes. Seven! Seven fucking boxes of cereals, and my God, the fight that would have ensued between my little sister and I if we had to try to decide who got the first choice of the doll or the car. I can tell you I wouldn't be here today. She would have murdered me. So what I'm trying to say is the prizes that we were talking about by the 1970s and definitely into the 80s were... Cheap plastic toys that splinter on the ride home and... If you were lucky, most of the time it was cardboard or stickers or rub-on tattoos. There would rarely be a flimsy 45 RPM record on the back of the box that you could pretend to play on a record player because the sound quality was so bad the dogs would start howling all around the neighborhood if you tried to actually listen to it. And for the really good toys... He needed to collect proofs of purchase of them and submit them in a stamped self-addressed envelope to a P.O. box in Omaha, Nebraska, along with a check from your parents for $5 shipping and handling, so that when seven months later, your cool toy finally arrived, you inevitably opened a box to find the awesome toy you, you ordered was nothing at all like the piece of shit they actually sent you in the box. The cereal companies didn't give a fuck because they knew we were kids and we could do fuck all about it. What's he gonna do, sue us? We were six. We couldn't even afford a fucking lawyer if we wanted one. So no, the prizes rarely figured in into one's cereal choices. The choice usually came down to the last cereal commercial you saw before your mom asked what kind of cereal you wanted. Say good morning with bigger speck. Dig em. Just one breakfast starts like that. Kellogg's sugar specs. Dig em. Toasted wheat plus eight good vitamins. Kellogg's sugar specs. Dig em. I dig sugar smacks. <laughs> What's wrong with that frog's airplane? Engine croak. <laughs> They're part of your good breakfast. Kellogg's sugar specs. That's a dig em smack. Pretty much any commercial would work on us kids back in the 70s. We would eat it if it had a frog or a rabbit chilling it. Shit, we didn't even know how to know what the hell the animal was like we knew what a fucking toucan was until we met Sam. Ah, Kellogg's Fruit Loop cereal. Real fruit flavors, orange, lemon, and cherry. Make Kellogg's Fruit Loops part of your complete breakfast with milk, juice, and toast. So look for Kellogg's Fruit Loops. Follow your nose. Didn't matter what it was, if it had a fucking talking animal, we'd eat it. It was just one cereal commercial that absolutely did not work on us because we could see it for the filthy fucking lie that it was. Look at this stuff. Some cereal is supposed to be good for you. Did you try it? I'm not going to try it. You try it. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey. Yeah. He won't need it. He hates everything. He likes it. Hey, Mikey. When you bring life home, don't tell the kids it's one of those nutritional cereals you've been trying to get them to eat. You're the only one who has to know. Oh, I know all of us nostalgic Gen Xers love the Mikey commercial now, but back in the 70s, we all knew that you were trying to get us healthy. If life cereal was so fucking good, why didn't it have a monkey or a singing chicken to tell us to eat it? And all in all, that's pretty much how it was on the breakfast front back in the 1970s. The commercials dictated our tastes, and all those commercials were shown to us on Saturday mornings with cartoons. It was a good system. It worked for everyone involved, the cereal companies, the kids, our dentist, who profited from our rotted teeth from all the sugar we were eating. But then, in the 1980s, something weird happened. Instead of the cereal commercials showing during cartoons, the cartoons became the cereal? I'm freaking out. 
And I was going to talk about that, but I got so distracted with the Ralstonism and the masturbation stuff that this show has ran super long. So we'll pick up there next week. So grab your box of 3PO's and get ready to get strange. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. When was the last time you ate a box of breakfast cereal? You know, they say millennials kill breakfast cereal, but I don't think we can blame them. I think it was Jerry Seinfeld. We watched him eat bowl after bowl for all those years, and then we realized that objectively, Jerry was a horrible person. And I think he killed cereal. But that's just like my opinion, man. Speaking of opinions, rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast so other folks can hear it and question your opinions on just about everything. Follow us on the show, the hell underscore podcast on Twitter, the show name on Facebook, or what the hell pod on the gram. I do have TikTok, but that isn't show related. That's for me. I'm going to become a TikTok influencer and get all of Gen Z to do my bidding. Mostly by getting them to buy me drinks at the bar. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. And as always, we are a proud member of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. So for me, Dave, pink hearts, yellow moons, orange stars, green blue diamonds, and green clovers. Bledsoe, producer, silly rabbit tricks off for kids. Gavin, and all the fictional honey nut Cheerio bees on this show, we want to say... A is for Apple, J is for Jax, C is for Crotch, where my little sister would punch me whenever we fought. My mom never fucking saw it. We'll see you all next week. What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Well, I'll make a boat and sail away now. Oh, lucky charms are magically delicious. <laughs>